If you just said this, right? I have to check out Ireland Land, another 100 year candidate. I'd, I, I, <laughs> what, you I'm said saying, what I'm saying is, I'd have to take out. Okay, I'll take out Conor Whelan then. Conor Whelan, that's it. I quit. Subscribe to the GA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Nathan, 7.44, good morning to you. How are you? I'll tell you, it's hard to compete with that gigantic Colin Buhig ego. You know, I psyched myself up bed early on a Tuesday night, on with the lads at half past seven. Get the word this morning. No, no, Buhig's taking the first 15 minutes of the show for a tennis loving. And it's, it's fine. Uh, it's interesting you brought up, Jared, the uh, water racket, the potential of a drive to survive for tennis. Uh, that's happening for golf. And what a time and what a season for them to do it. So it's going to be out next year. Uh, already last week on the Netflix version, uh, the golf side of it, at the USPGA, the three players that are following three players specifically every week, they followed Mito Pereira, Will Zalatoris, and Justin Thomas, who were the top three at the USPGA, which just so happened to be the three that they focused on. Mito Pereira, who obviously absolutely bottled it on 18. Uh, so last week was interesting and this week is going to be pretty interesting as well I think you want the other end of the leaderboard though no you want the guy who is in the lead on 18 at the USPGA and puts it in the water yeah Justin Thomas I mean will be uh, is there anything more that we can learn about Justin Thomas is there there like a is there going to be like a a complete uh, different persona behind the scenes I wonder after he after he wins after he takes advantage of that like uh, I I actually think there's every chance the golf thing could be could be excellent but is are we not going to just reach a point where all these documentaries become unbelievably self-aware and everybody's trying to just do a Formula One job on it and we get a fairly cheap uh, product in the end? Shark has been jumped, right? Like, I mean, golf could... Well, have, the, we, golf we, we've already reached the point, I think, even with Drive to Survive, where expectations are so high that it can't possibly meet them. Mm. Like, it's just... like the, I guess one of the great things about Drive to Survive was the, the personalities born out of a lack of self-awareness golf and tennis quite possibly have those personalities in abundance and yeah, that's what you want okay their giant egos might get in the way of them being self-aware, self-aware exactly and uh, that's the best we can hope for I want the uh, eight second in room video of Dustin Johnson when he's making the decision to take the Saudi cash <laughs> be great television do you want a lot of money Dustin Johnson yes <laughs> just End explain scene. what's going on there Nathan so uh, last night Pretty seismic news. Uh, we have been talking about Live Golf, uh, this new Saudi Arabian back tour headed up controversially by Greg Norman. And the first event is coming in uh, next week in England. And they've been delaying and delaying and delaying in terms of naming the field. There's been obviously huge speculation. But last night they finally came with names. And Dustin Johnson is chief amongst them. By far and away, the biggest name uh, he has committed. He is seems more or less said goodbye to the PGA Tour. There have been a lot of rumours last weekend. So P- DJ was one of the first names that would have been speculated about. He never seems to have any great affinity with anybody or anything and is very much his own man, does his own thing, doesn't overthink it. But when uh, Phil Mickelson uh, was outed with his scary line about uh, the Saudi Arabians, himself and Bryson DeChambeau quickly issued a statement saying they, they love the PGA Tour and won't be staying. Uh, but his name is on the list. He's going to London. He is taking the cash. His agent issued a statement saying, Dustin has been contemplating the opportunity off and on for the past couple of years. Ultimately, he decided it was his and his family's best interest to pursue it. Dustin has never had any issue with the PGA Tour and is grateful for all it has given him. But in the end, felt this was too compelling to pass up. Which sounds like Dustin Johnson is saying goodbye 
to the PGA Tour. Like This is huge for the game of golf that a player of his stature. Remember, we're talking about somebody that in the post-Tiger Woods era, nobody has been world number one for longer than Dustin Johnson. He's a two-time major winner. He has won consistently year after year in the PGA Tour for well over a dozen years at this stage. He's had a little bit of a dip recently, but he is one of the big guns, and Liv Golf and Greg Norman have got him. Um, the field has been announced for this tournament. We've been waiting for basically a couple of years to see who would play. Uh, uh, Phil Mickelson's not playing. Well... There's 48 players going to be in the field. 42 have been announced, which leaves six places. Okay. Five of them are going to an Asian tour event, which is also backed by Live Golf this week, which will leave one remaining space. It could be you. So, Any golfer ranked in 200, 300. So maybe, maybe last minute they decide uh, that Phil is going to play. But remember, this is just the first of eight events. And then they go to America. And we know that American golfers at the best of times don't like traveling. Uh, now that... DJ stuck his head out there and is going to take a lot of the flack for this. Other players you would feel will look at it and think, well, maybe actually now it's done. Maybe I can go as well. It's going to be fascinating to see how the PGA Tour responds. They obviously banned their players from playing in this, which was a bit of a surprise in itself that generally they'll allow you one or two uh, across a year. But they decided this was such an existential threat to the PGA Tour that no players will be given a pass. So... We could well be heading for a, a pretty lengthy court case. He is the biggest name by a mile. There's other good players there. Taylor Gooch, the world number 35, who's been a good PGA Tour player the last couple of years, is there. Kevin Na is in there. And then it's sort of a lot of the veterans, including Gray McDowell, who's yeah. going to go. Martin Keimer, Sergio we should, Garcia. We should talk about Gray McDowell. We can't be giving Gray McDowell a free pass for this. That's, so that's him gone now as a potential Ryder Cup captain, right? Well, all of this is going to come out in the wash because he's not the only one who's now gone as a potential Ryder Cup. Like Ian Poulter. Mr. Ryder Cup, the postman. You know, it was nailed on to be Ryder Cup captain whenever he felt like it. Uh, is that gone? This right now is far greater threat to the European Tour initially than it is to the PGA Tour because a lot of the rest of the field is made up with you know semi decent European Tour players like Oliver Becker has been one of the best players on the European Tour this season. Richard Bland's been the big success story for the European Tour over the last couple of years. They're committed to this, so. How the European Tour responds by the time it comes round to McDowell being a captain, say potentially at a Dara Manor in 2027. Yeah, have they found a way through this? Have so many players gone that the European Tour have to accept it? Have the European Tour been subsumed by, by Saudi golf, by Live Golf? Who knows how it's going to play out? But right now, I would expect that the European Tour will have to come out and you know, ban these players, say that for the Ryder Cup, it's up. But listen, I think most of these players have looked at the money and just felt that they couldn't turn it down. I honestly don't think the human rights issue has been a major factor in their thinking at all. It's they don't whether care. or not they, don't they want to go to war they don't with care. the PGA Tour. Sorry, just, just that, to be clear, they don't care about the human rights issues. That's what these golfers are saying. They don't care. Because bear in mind, they're all already phenomenally wealthy and they're deciding that they don't care about human rights, that their bank balance is more important than that. And they're happy to get into bed with anybody. The the, the Graham McDowell element of this is, is interesting. And he's done quite a U-turn. Last October, golfmagic.com, Graham McDowell describes Saudi-backed golf series as a major problem. January the 9th this year on Sports Illustrated, Graham McDowell, competition from the Saudis makes other tours better. So I wonder what happened in the, the meantime. A quick well, phone call. as I said, there was you so this seemed to, to be here. stalling a little bit over the last few weeks with the delays, and then there was a lot of rumors around the PGA Tour last week that they had come back and were doubling their money in the offers to the biggest guns 
to the likes of Dustin Johnson to get them on board. Like, I don't think Gray McDowell is getting insane money to start with. He's not that big a name still. But he's looking at this and they're playing in London on what is you know a pretty average field with the exception of Dustin Johnson. Four million first prize. Everybody who plays uh, is going to get at least 120k. It builds up to the final end of season event which there's a team element to this as well which is going to become clear over the next little while but the final event which is obviously going to take place at one of trump's golf courses uh, a 50 million quid prize fund so 16 million for first place for the first place team so 4 million per player uh it's kind of insane the sort of money they're going to play for but i think you're right i don't think you know i don't think they care about this human rights issue at all i i really don't think for the vast majority of players it was a factor in their delay to committing it was if this goes legal where do we stand in terms of the majors so dustin johnson's a defending is is a former u.s open champion the u.s open is on in just a couple of weeks time is there going to be implications there it's an open it's hard to see it but he's a former masters winner sergio is a former masters winner charles schwartz is a former masters winner do they side with the pga tour and not allow these players back and they miss out on the champions dinner and, and all that history what happens with world ranking points so if there's world ranking points again this becomes far more attractive if there's not and suddenly you're dropping out of world's top 50 by committing to this you miss out on another easy cash opportunities so I think this is the real start of where it gets very interesting into the future of world golf. Okay. Uh, but the end result will be all of these guys will make an awful lot of money. Very, very quickly. Uh, Joel Beale on Twitter, who is a staff writer for, going to get it right, uh, senior writer for Golf Digest says, listen, if all this leads to a lawsuit, that means Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson will have to be under oath. Holy cow, sign me the hell up for that. That would be very interesting just so. So, Mr. Johnson, what is your relationship with the PGA Tour? How has that relationship been? Have they always been uh, fully public about all of your relationships with the PGA Tour? And Phil, um, the book suggests that you lost a lot of money gambling. Is that the reason why you are uh, involved in the PGA, in the Saudi thing? So, those questions will be asked under oath. We'll get an answer to them. They wouldn't be the only people nervous about that, obviously. PGA. The might be. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. And then, um, Golf Digest already reporting this morning that it appears as if um, RBC, one of Dustin Johnson's sponsors, have backed away. Uh, extremely disappointed in his decision and we wish him well. I don't know what RBC do. On the Royal Bank of Canada. Right. So the, or, the they are one of the big sponsors of the PGA Tour. They are the main. The Canadian opens on next week, yeah. and they've been advertising that Dustin Johnson was going to play uh, anymore for the last few months. Uh, they also sponsored the tournament at Hilton Head, so they're one of the big backers of it's, the PGA Tour and of individual players. Is that because of the Gretzky connection? Is that the Canadian um, element to Dustin Johnson? There, I hadn't thought of that. He's married he to be Gretzky's something. daughter. That's what you're talking about, Paulina. Yes, yeah. Right. Uh, so. The, uh, DJ coming to a Dare Manor in just a couple of weeks' time. Oh, great! We'll get to ask him all the hard questions, or else we'll all be banned from asking any questions. We'll see, see how that goes. Seven fifty-five this morning. Um, just very quickly, I uh, just want to read you the comments that our producer is putting through here. Uh, our producer is Colin Bowie. Uh, Shane C says, "Columns of t- of tennis is admirable. He's ahead of the curve. When the Netflix doc comes out, we'll all be on it." Uh, Brian Dillon says resident tennis brat Colin Buig staying up that late fair play I wish I was allowed to stay up that late and Chris Cal says now his wonder boy Alvarez has lost will Colin change his hairstyle <laughs> I, I, before before you uh, lunged into the golf story there I was going to point out that Colin has his own theme tune as well 
He's, he's got his own walk-on music that he's he's developing for the show. Did you know this? Well, I, we're trying to b- work on a format where we, we're getting like WWE style behind the scenes foot, steady cam footage of people as they walk on. We're hoping to like uh, fine-tune it so that we can do virtual insanity properties that we get, you know, tracking camera John Duggan walking from his desk to the studio. But of course, the end product of it all would be Colin Bowie walking in for his tennis slots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, uh, all the rest of the stuff is just like so that we can do the tennis stuff yeah. and, and anything else that like it's like, oh, you all need theme tunes because but we don't have any it's like, oh, I've got one. <laughs> what will Colin's <laughs> what was what will Colin's theme tune be? Uh, it's it, it's one of his mates singing. Nice. Gar- Gary Carroll. Yeah. Oh, it, were you getting the endless WhatsApp messages as well? <laughs> See, look, here's the thing, Nathan. You can you can pretend that you're somehow not involved in this, but you created the template for the self-aggrandizing. That's that's like he's just following your lead. Um, wow. There you go. What do you want to talk to us about? Your, your, the pain of the end of the season that uh, Liverpool fans are feeling at the moment? Have you recovered? This um, is the bit where he goes from, like, super reporter to super nasty. Watch. what that's a little angry head getting on there quick. Well, go for it. What do you want me to say? It was a disappointing end of the season for Liverpool. Is it a good season? I think it was a very good season, but didn't obviously reach greatness because of what happened in the last couple of matches, or the last few games, and not being able to win the league, not being able to win the Champions League, but they played, what, 64 games, lost four matches, going up against a side in Manchester City that are verging on being impossible to topple, uh, that are setting unprecedented highs in terms of points uh, but I think along the way you know they play a brilliant style of football uh, they're always good to watch and just came up short in a couple of massive matches which uh, I'm sure is going to sting for Klopp and for the players but I think it was a very good season they won a lot of big matches you know they scored what nine goals against Manchester United over the two games which I can't imagine has happened ever before uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens now over the summer When you were watching the Champions League final what was your unfolding sense what, why were they just a little bit off from where they have been because bear in mind they've played really well against good teams in, in certainly in, in very big games and they've scored goals but for whatever reason in the cup finals this year they didn't score um, and I, I don't know if he can actually put a pattern from the three games because they're three different teams really but certainly in the, in the Madrid game their best players didn't fizz the way they have in the biggest games this season no but they're obviously a better team than Madrid in terms of creating opportunities. But like the Salah one, where he has this outstanding control, the finish is almost a replica of the what well, ends up in the goal of the season against Manchester City with his right foot trying to go across the keeper. Like, is it that fizz? Is it that bit of fatigue that means against Ederson, he manages to put it right in the top corner, just slightly away from his shoulder, whereas with Courtois, it sort of just clips him. Like, is, that, is that a bit of fatigue that he doesn't hit it as hard? Or is that just a bit of luck? It's very hard to tell. And if that goes in, we're talking about one of the great Champions League final goals. And we're talking probably about a very different conversation in terms of Liverpool's season. But I think it did feel as though they ran out of steam in a lot of games towards the end of the season. Like the Tottenham game, which ultimately was the one if, if one thing doesn't necessarily lead to another and maybe City don't drop points if Liverpool don't drop points and all of that. But the end of the Champions League final was similar to the end of that Tottenham game at Anfield where... A lot of crosses into the box. Nobody really in there. Not winning any headers. Not trying something different. And yeah, it did feel as though they like they might have been at ninety five percent, but with the speed they generally play at, that that's not good enough. And I think the fullbacks are so important. And if it slows down at all, like the brilliance of the fullbacks is how quickly they can get the ball into the area a lot of the time. That if that's coming in a lot slower, like good defenses get back quicker. They're very well set up. The ball started to look aimless. 
Uh, and I think that was something that really stood out, particularly in the cup finals towards the end of the games. But I, I, you wouldn't look at any of the cup finals and say they didn't play well. Particularly, Carabao Cup final wasn't a great game, but the FA Cup final, uh, you know, they were again created an enormous amount of chances. Even the last night, like, they hit the post again. Courtois ends up being man of the match, so there wasn't a huge amount wrong. But when you're trying to win a Champions League, you know, you got to take, you got to score a couple of those. Even Mane's chance that Courtois saved. Like, the more you look at it, probably could have put it in the corner a little bit more, and maybe Salah with that one could have put it in the corner a little bit more. Yeah, like uh, I mean, the Salah thing is. Um... I don't know if Courtois was really man of the match to be honest like the, the Salah one was kind of right at him and, and people are going to yeah I, I understand the whole of Europe has coronated him it was a, an excellent performance and he didn't concede the goal and so yeah okay I get it but I do I do wonder if like um, it didn't it didn't feel like you know it took a remarkable act of skill to create that chance uh, as opposed to it being the pattern of play creating several chances for Liverpool um, it just it didn't feel like while they were dominant, they were comfortable. They, they they never they never looked like winning the game. That was the problem. Yeah, but if they get the first goal, they probably suddenly do. Like if they score in the first forty minutes when they are well on top. But again, it's all ifs. And yeah, I, I I certainly felt that Madrid always and how could they not had the ability to get them on the counter attack and to create opportunities themselves. But Madrid didn't create an awful lot of of chances and Trent is one moment where he switches off and it ends up costing them the game. So I, I you know, I, I think you can pick holes in the performance, but there wasn't a huge amount wrong with it. Um, I, I do think, and obviously Mane going, and if they don't get a big fee for him, it's probably not ideal. But I do think while Diaz has been exceptional since he's come in, that move, having to move Mane into the middle takes a lot away from Mane. He's, he's not anywhere near, say, Firmino at his best in that sort of holding role as a number nine, dropping a bit deeper. Everything with Manic can be a little bit clumsy and that's what makes him brilliant in a way that, you know, a bit of trickery, the ball's bobbling here and there and he reacts quickest. Whereas actually I think in that more central role, you want a bit more control in it. So I think if Mane goes, and presumably he does go, that the player they'd be looking to bring in is probably more likely to be a central striker. Yeah. Because Diaz is already there. Like Diaz is Mane's replacement. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's talk about the Republic of Ireland. It's um, an unbelievably busy and important 10 days for them. The team hopefully are on flights this morning to Yerevan. Uh, I don't know, is there some way of getting them away from the chaos? Is there like a, well, we'll stick on a, a, ple- a special treatment. You would hope that maybe they can avoid the seven RQs. I don't know. Maybe they can. Maybe they can't. Maybe that. Maybe we're asking for too much. But I thought you were talking about the unrest in Yerevan as opposed to Dublin Airport there for a sec. Such as such as the as, man as of our world. Um, so, what 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 constitutes success from these next ten days from the Republic of Ireland's perspective? Bear in mind that Stephen Kenny ratcheted up the pressure on himself and the team by saying we want to go on top of the group. Yeah, and I think uh, topping the group is a realistic goal. It's not an easy group. Uh, but the way the fixtures work out could work out quite well for Ireland. Like, it's four games in 10 days. Stephen Kenny was saying yesterday that, you know, it's not ideal, but actually you don't mind when everybody has the same calendar. So you're not going in where one team has had four days and you've only had three days. Uh, like I've gone through it a million times. The rewards for topping a group in the Nations League are absolutely massive and could transform Stephen Kenny's time in charge, not just for this campaign, but for the next campaign as well. And could be the biggest boost for him getting another contract after this. Uh, so Ukraine are playing Scotland tonight. And 
in terms of how Stephen Kenny plans out the next four matches, he was saying that, you know, he's going to go in against Armenia. You can't really think about, well, I'm going to rest players against Armenia, start them against Ukraine next Wednesday, and then I'm going to rest somebody for this. That You sort of start with your first team and take it from there. So I think he'd probably go out with his strongest possible 11. And then a lot will depend maybe on what happens tonight. Because if Ukraine beats Scotland, Ukraine are then playing on Sunday against Wales in the playoff final, which means they would be coming to Dublin, you would imagine, resting pretty much all their players because they've just played two huge matches. Where if they don't, suddenly they've got a break and they're coming in fresh and you're thinking that's the toughest game. Like Remember, Ukraine got to the quarterfinals of the Euros last year. Uh, they've been up in Division 1 of the Nations League. They've got a lot of quality players there. So I, I think it's a it's a tough group, but if they can get off to a good start, win in Armenia, you would expect to beat Armenia at home. Like Armenia, it could be a good time to get them while they obviously were promoted from uh, Division 3. Like They've collapsed defensively in recent... Like they conceded nine in their last match against Norway conceded 18 in their last four games so defensively they've been a little bit of a shambles so i think there's an opportunity to finally get a win remember our record in the nation's league is a disgrace we have never won a game we've <laughs> never won a game only san marino have scored fewer goals than ireland in the nation's league so while this should be the competition that benefited ireland uh, it's been anything but so far but it feels like a very typical uh, international build-up in that nobody's quite sure what's coming but by what is it two o'clock kickoff on uh, Saturday by four o'clock on Saturday, we'll either be you know serious questions about Stephen Kenny's future again, or we'll be all looking forward to uh, qualifying for the World Cup. I think the most astonishing statistic from Ireland's time in the Nations League is that they have suffered zero relegations. Like how that has actually happened is uh, is kind of beyond comprehension. Like I did, so, just that last bit you said there that if it's a poor start to the campaign for Ireland, that there will be a sort of referendum on Stephen Kenny uh, again, and certainly in public discourse. Is is that really how you think it is, that we're, we're still very much uh, at a... Oh, no, I, 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 I think in terms of the FAI, we're past that. But yeah. like, that's every Ireland manager, every single match. If you don't win a game, the criticism will come. And while there's momentum there now, and there's a good body of work that progress has been made in terms of style of football and results and scoring goals and been attractive to watch... Uh, you know, again, people look at Armenia as an absolute minnow. If you don't beat Armenia, questions will be asked. But you know, I don't think there's any. Well, if Ireland don't do well over these four games, I still don't think there'll be any major yeah. questions about Stephen Kenny's future. No, no, no. There's a campaign to come, uh, irrespective of what happens here. And I know the point you're making about the if we were to do well in this, it kind of just guarantees everything will follow from that point, and you get better games, and you get better quality of opposition, and you get to test yourself and. Like it's a virtuous circle. That's what's on offer. Um, give me the scoreline from the game in Castle Bar at the weekend. Oh, that's a Mayo in a qualifier. You're looking at either extra time or a last minute point, maybe a one sixteen to one fifteen victory for Mayo. This is the biggest. This is the biggest game in Mayo's season. If the game was in Clonus, I'd feel far more confident. <laughs> Why? You spent all that money on doing up the the, the the gaff, and now you like you don't want anybody to come there. It's yet to be proven, though, that you know that everybody likes the gaff. So Mayo's record at Castlebar has never been great. Yes, they've obviously changed the pitch and done it up, and maybe it suits their style a little bit more. But there's there's a, there's a bit of magic in Mayo on the road uh, that uh, always seems to bring the best out of them. But I, is that because all your best people leave? Think, is that what you're saying? Well, some some leave, some leave, Jerry. A lot, a lot of great people have remained. You know, stop trying to get me in a lot of trouble here. What's the what's the undertone there? Ocean's power ranking suggests the Mayo win. That's the main thing. Have, have you heard anything? Any any nuggets of information coming out of the Mayo camp? Oh, no, nothing comes out of the Mayo camp these days. Really? 
Okay. Certainly nothing true anyway. Well, that's for sure. Uh, they, Yeah, Horn obviously sat down last week with, um, I think, a lot of the local media and outlined that there's doubts about several players. But, you know, if uh, pushing Mullen is fit, if Killian O'Connor has, you know, a couple more weeks of training under his belt, I think Mayo should have just enough. Right. Just enough. All right. Very uh, lacking in confidence, but um, hopefully there'll be some more confidence on show in Castle Bar tomorrow night. Anything good stuff? Thanks a million. OTB. AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.